Dear friends in Christ, grace and peace be unto you from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. I thought about it for a while this week and was quite tempted by that first lesson. Good example of God's great sense of humor. As he announced to someone 20 years older than Michael, you're going to have a baby. I decided, throwing darts up, that's the easy one. Look instead at this gospel text. Before we get hung up and distracted, like Peter did, on what Jesus said was going to happen, that he was going to have to suffer and be rejected and denied and be killed, let's just admit that we would be as surprised as Peter was. We would have been right there with Peter, taking Jesus to the side and saying, are you sure we got to do it this way? Maybe there's another way. We'd want to know why. I mean, we'd already been told that we become enemies of God through Adam's sin, that we're all part of the mess. That we've disappointed God and angered God, hurt God, rejected God along the way. All of us have had our moments. And then God sent His own Son, this major piece of God, to, to suffer, to be killed, to win a battle that costs God dearly. Once and for all. And while all this is true and scriptural, I want to suggest out loud what many of you have thought to yourselves. This is pretty rugged. Pretty awful stuff. It's at the very least a difficult image of God on which to to hang your lives and your faith. This kind of a suffering and dying God. In fact, that's why that was one of the earliest heresies in the life of Christ's church after he died and was resurrected and ascended. One of the earliest heresies was people who rejected this one thing that God could not possibly have suffered. No way. And so if God did not suffer and if God was not killed, then God was not really in Christ. And it divided the early church, 2nd century, 3rd century. In fact, one of the early creeds, the Athanasian Creed, was written in response to that heresy to explain, no, there's three parts to God, but only one God. Certainly, it's not the only scriptural narrative about God. And in fact, today, in the bright light that was cast by the Gospel that Lois read, I want to light up another image of God for you. One that you might be able to hang your hat on. And maybe even build a life on. The first part of this image is simply this. God is love. 
God is love. That's the first and most important fact to keep in mind during these Lenten days, especially. Love is God's name. Love is God's game. Love is God's aim. You make the words up. It's what God does. It's who God is. Jesus in the flesh said it, and I believe it. In fact, I stake my life and my faith on this one great fact. Absolutely everything else we say about God has to pass this sniff test, I think. Does it show us a loving God? No matter how much sense something else in Scripture makes to you, if it doesn't fit with a loving God, it's not true, or you're misreading it, or you're misunderstanding it. And I'd say it's better to be wrong than it is to make God scary or hateful. Because God is not. God is love. The second part of this image I light up for you today is that God's ways are not your ways. And they're not mine either. Lucky for you. The prophets through the centuries were really big on this. I mean, just because we think that things have to be set right in the world, that our sins have to be paid for, that justice has to be served, what goes around comes around, whatever you're saying or credo in life may be, or that bad deeds must all be corrected or punished, that does not necessarily mean that God believes that. That's you. That's me. In fact, God is precisely that reality where merely human reasoning and words and rationality, they slam up against a paradox. The early theologians called it slamming against like uh, God's wisdom. Like all of our best thinking about God is dissolved in, in divine wisdom. Justice, fairness, retribution, payback. Oh, we love all those things, don't we? You'll get yours. We love that stuff. These are complex human categories that eventually in faith give way to God's simplicity. And that simplicity is this. I love you. I forgive you, and you belong to me. God's ways are not our ways. This God never, ever stops loving us. And finally, regarding God's image that I want to kind of hang in front of you today to consider is that God does not need to be reconciled. You see, God was never unreconciled to us. As Paul put it, I like to say it, even when we were yet sinners, do you know what the rest is? God loves us. Or John, the Gospel writer, who said, For God 
did not send His Son into the world to condemn it, but to save it. It's we who need to be reconciled with God and with one another. Brought back into oneness with God. Why is this so? Why should we be so distant from the God who made us to live with Him, to be like Him, in whose image we were made? Why should someone else have to mend our fences with this God who never stopped loving us? It's because of this. There's something in us that we can't control. We can't manage it. Came bursting out of me the other day as I was working in the garage trying to get something down and I dropped something heavy on my foot. I thought, what was that? Where did that come from? There's something in us we can't control. We can't manage it. We call it original sin or human libido. There's something inside us that tears us apart from God. And there are other things that keep us apart from one another. We, the objects of God's love. It's anger or guilt or jealousy. Those kinds of things alienate us from one another. Those others out there whom God also loves and also saves. That means that before we've even made a bad choice, or before we've made our first bad decision of the day, we're already at war with God and with ourselves and with one another. And since we can't escape this condition we label a label as original sin, we can't climb outside of ourselves and this problem. We realize we can't cure it. And so we need saving. As Paul said elsewhere in his letter to the Romans, who's going to save us from this human condition? Well, let's try it this way. Imagine a parent. That won't be hard for you. Imagine a parent telling a teenager, I see (laughs) that you're in need of help. Deep, deep trouble you're into. And since you can't deal with it, you are projecting it onto me. You ever tried that with your teenager? goes really well. (laughs) And I always concluded that little speech with, and that's all right. Let me have it. And so the child pouts, and rants and raves and shouts and cries and accuses and rejects and hates until they're beside themselves. And then the parent says, there, you've done your very worst. You've said your worst. You've been your worst. And guess what? I still love you. And since you can never do anything worse than what you've just done, let's just live together secure in my great love for you. 
Now, perhaps that's a way to think about how God deals with humanity. Human nature, coupled with sin, so separates us, so estranges us from God that we couldn't find our way back. Total destruction of the planet didn't work. Huh? Kids sang about that this morning. You know that at the end of that Noah story in the flood, God repented of that and said, I'll never wreck the whole place again. We tried plagues. God tried captivity. Prophetic warnings, even threats, they didn't work. Keeping laws and obeying rituals. We couldn't do it. So God came to live among us as Jesus, took every conceivable sin upon Himself, took the whole mess on His back, and then Jesus gave it all back to God. In full frustration and alienation from the cross, where He said He felt abandoned, where He felt that He was being left alone, where He was forsaken, where He couldn't feel God's presence one little bit while He was dying. And there, our Almighty God said this, Good. You've brought me your very worst. And I still love you. Since there's nothing worse you can do than reject and kill me, let's now live together, secure in my great love for you. So what might all this mean for you and for me? Knowing about such love, tasting such grace, what does this matter right now, right here, for us in the world we live in? Well, Jesus said in the Gospel for today, He said, if you want to follow Me, deny yourself, and take up your cross. What is that? What is your cross? I think it would be a mistake to reduce your cross to some kind of personal problem, or my bad knees, or a limp, or a tough life, something you have to solve. The cross, your cross, that you're to pick up and carry, if it's going to be anything like the cross that Jesus carried, is a life, listen now, that is lived for the other. As was Jesus' life on cross. You give it up. We preachers are forever tempted to tell people, that if you will follow Jesus, things will go better in your marriage. How's that working for you? Your kids are all going to turn out great. Or if you come to church, you're going to fulfill your potential. You're going to become a better human being. 
as if following Jesus is just one more technique for good living and success. <laughs> Ick. Sorry to disappoint you. But today's Gospel suggests that following Jesus and taking up your cross, living life for the other, may be the beginning of your problems. <laughs> Not the end. Love for others does that to you sometimes, you know. It hurts. On this second Sunday of Lent, I want to make sure that you meet a God who is not the God we expected. This God loves us so much that this God does not just want to run errands for us or grant us wishes. God doesn't want to just fix things up and tidy things up and clean up every mess. But instead we meet a God who stands with us knee deep in the big mess that we make out of things. Calls us to a richer life, one lived oriented to others. A God who reaches out His arms and embraces us from the cross. Along life's way, we have good days and we have bad days. huh? We have bad days with ourselves, good days with ourselves, bad days with others, good days with others. Some days where we feel very close to God and other times when we feel very, very far away. And we run into plenty of things which we can't manage and we can't control. Never mind. God simply says, I see that you're having trouble with your heart today. Or your life. Or your will. Why don't you hold on to my hand And we'll work on things together. Amen. Glory be to you, Heavenly Father, through Christ our Lord, who with the Holy Spirit reigns eternally, one God, now and always. Amen.